Jay from New Jersey, it's the SNL Nerds, the show where two comics from New Jersey nerd out over Saturday Night Live. I'm your co-host, John Trumbull. I'm your co-host, Darren Patterson. Hey, Darren, how you doing? I'm doing good. You know, the, the earth is ending and whatnot, but I'm, I'm in good spirits. Yeah, how are, how are you doing with uh, the whole end times, coronavirus, self-imposed, quarantine lockdown thing? Uh, doing okay. Uh, just going out for the essentials, uh, liquor, pizza. Sure. And uh, that's you know, toilet paper. No, uh, that's about it. I know. I went. I went to the grocery store on Friday, and I I scored a I scored a pack of toilet paper. I was pretty proud of myself. You know, did you was it there on the shelf, or did you have to like do like some back alley deals? Like uh, it was it was there on the shelf? My uh, grocery store over in Morris Plains, New Jersey. It was uh. They're they're being pretty smart about. It. They're limited in to to a customer, so uh, they're on top of it. They're well supplied. Okay, they don't want any everything of... I needed. All right, they don't want any of those uh, do people with the with the greedy hands who just like take everything and just you know. It, you know, it was a little tricky because like when I was shopping, like a couple times, I was like, "Hey, I've touched this. I guess I have to buy it now." So oh, you touched it, you <laughs> bought it. <laughs> that's that that wasn't like store policy that was just a rule i set for myself but uh i i feel like it's a good one yeah that's fair enough that's fair enough but, you know you don't want to you know you don't want anybody to get get your uh, cooties or nothing like that exactly i don't want to spread my cooties around out there that's so you're, you're such a great guy i really am i really am i'm pretty awesome uh <laughs> but you know and speaking of awesome we got an awesome movie that we're going to talk about this week. Yeah, we do. Um, well, we figured because the uh, the newest James Bond movie is delayed, so we delayed. Yes. Yeah. So people need their their spy fix. Yes. They need they need their uh, you know espionage and intrigue and whatnot. Yes. What, yes. And what better way to do that than to talk about? The uh, 1997 hit movie, Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. Ooh, yeah, baby. Yeah, I know. Like, well, I mean, we talked about it, like, uh, on the last episode, how some movies just are just extremely quotable, like Anchorman was, and, you know, just, we'll just quote it, quote it, quote it. I mean, this movie was, people were quoting it like, like bananas. It, it was like, we didn't. I don't think we really had internet memes in 1997, but this movie spawned a lot of memes. It spawned, like, everybody and his brother imitating him, people dressing up as Austin Powers for Halloween. Yeah, I mean, just, it's, yeah, it's something else. Just yeah babies and oh behaves, just as yeah. far as I can see. And uh, we, Yeah, so this movie came out. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, this movie came out May 2nd, 1997. Uh, budget of 16 mil. It made 67 mil, which is a huge hit, which I was actually kind of surprised about because from what I remember, I don't think this movie was a hit until it came out on video. Like, I know, like, once it came out on video, that's when everybody saw it. I mean, that's when I saw it. I didn't, I didn't yeah. see this in the theaters. I, I believe I did see it in the theaters. Um, so, yeah. So I was an Austin Powers hipster, I guess. Um, but uh, I, we should say before we dive into the movie, this is a movie that our... Uh, that our listeners uh, helped us select. We put up a poll on the Twitter page, uh, the at SNL Nerds Show Twitter page, and we put up four options. We uh, asked them to vote on Office Space, Hot Rod, uh, The Skeleton Twins, and Austin Powers. And Austin Powers 
uh, won with 36.7% of the vote. Uh, we had a total of 30 people respond to the poll. So thank you very much for that. Uh, thank but you. Austin Powers was a clear winner. It was running uh, neck and neck with, uh, was it Office Space for a while? No, no, it's Hot Rod. Hot, Hot Rod. It was really okay. close with Hot Rod and uh, Austin Powers, which kind of surprised me because like, I thought Office Space would do way better, but in, uh, not so much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll we'll give it a little more. I think people will will come around on Office Space if we put up another poll and Office Space is in there. I think Office Space will do well. But uh, thank you to everybody who responded uh, to the poll. We appreciate that. We enjoyed doing that. And uh, yeah, we we've been looking forward to doing this movie. This is fun. Yeah, yeah. This is gonna be a hoot. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, like you said, the movie was uh, budgeted at sixteen point five million, uh, from what I understand. I read that. Uh, I found a, a cool uh, oral history of the movie uh, and that was ran in the Hollywood Reporter in twenty seventeen for the twentieth anniversary. And yeah, it was. I think it was a modest hit, uh, but yeah, it really took off on home video. Uh, I think word of mouth was good. Uh, it was right at the dawn of the DVD market. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, I remember watching this on, like, when it came out on VHS, like, a widescreen edition of VHS. That was, like, a big old deal. And then, like, I, yeah. I just, yeah, I mean, I don't know why I didn't see it in the theaters. I just, maybe the commercials may look too goofy or too weird. Or I didn't even get it because, like, this was, I mean, this is one of Mike Myers' movies. And this was a character he never did on SNL. So there's like yeah. a whole new character, a whole new thing. And I was like, I don't know if I want to take a chance on it like that. And um, oh, so I, I know, I know, I know. I'm I'm a bum. I'm a I'm a heel. But then oh, I just yeah. watched the... <laughs> don't agree with me so quickly like that. Oh uh, no, you're a heel. Oh, okay. But yeah, then I watched it on video and I was like, oh, this is actually pretty hilarious, like what they're doing here. Yeah, it works well on video. It's it's been a while since I'd rewatched this um, all the way through. It's on up on Netflix streaming right now, so you can check it out. Uh, you know, go watch it before you listen to this podcast, so it's fresh in your mind. Uh, but it was it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed watching it. It's it's a pretty breezy movie. It's only like an hour and a half long. Really, so, really short. Really yeah, short. Really short. And. I was I'm pretty impressed with uh, the budget of sixteen and a half million, uh, because this movie like they put every dollar up on screen. It is a pretty impressive looking movie for the money that they had to spend. Yeah, it's very true. It's like I mean, you can see they cut some costs here and there, where yeah. um, like there's one scene when they're in uh, Vegas and they but there's like a, they're clearly in front of a blue screen or a green screen, yeah. like, like you know stuff like that, but. It looks cheesy enough that it kind of fits the mood of the movie. You know, and that's that's fun, too, because uh, they, they lean into the cheesiness. Whenever they have the limits, they, they lean into that. And it's this movie, because it's like a spy movie, it, it really, uh, it, it, it's very reminiscent of those early James Bond movies. And those weren't real expensive movies either. I think the first James Bond movie had a budget of like $1 million dollars. One million dollars in in there, 1962. There um, so so some of those early Bond movies are are kind of cheap too, uh, and they really do a nice job recreating the look of of those. So yeah, absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. 
All right, so yeah, let's dive in. Let's talk about this bad boy. Let's go. Um, let's go. Uh, do you know how like how Mike Myers came up with this idea? Was it just something he was just kicking around, or it was um, it really came yeah. out of nowhere? Yeah, Mike Myers. He talked about this a little in the uh, Hollywood Reporter oral history. He talked about he was uh, driving home from ice hockey practice because uh, Mike Myers, Canadian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So he was driving home from ice hockey practice, <laughs> and the song uh, The Look of Love by Burke Bacharach came on the radio, and he started thinking, well, where have all the swingers gone, the 60s swingers happening dudes? And uh, and that was just the birth of the character, and he had just started developing it. I know his wife, or his ex-wife now, talked about how she would hear him in the bathtub and saying things like, do I make you horny? And and all that, and she was just like, okay, well, someone new is being born now. So she was just very uh, uh, used to his ways at this point. She knew how he worked. So it, it just kind of developed gradually from there. And uh, it it also was inspired by uh, Mike Myers. His father had recently passed away, and, and his father had introduced him to a lot of British culture. It, both of uh, Mike Myers' parents were from the UK, but they moved to Canada. And right. uh, they'd introduce him to things like Peter Sellers and the Beatles and the Goon Show and 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 the Bond movies. And so all this British culture just kind of was in Mike Myers's head and, and mashed up and it eventually came out as Austin Powers. So it's this movie is really a, a tribute to uh, to uh, <laughs> Austin's uh, to Mike Myers's dad. Uh, who yeah, had, who yeah, passed yeah. away. Well, yeah, I mean, like, I think that's something that we've. I mean, we, I think we talked about it on the podcast before where, yeah, like like Mike Myers has always had this sort of love for British comedy, especially British mm-hmm. comedy in a certain era. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, it, it definitely comes through in this movie and like it's come through in other like things he's done in the past as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's so, the comedy in this movie, it is very specific. It's very specific on the stuff that Mike Myers likes and stuff that speaks to him and you can you can really feel the love that he has for this material uh you you could not like you could not parody something this closely unless you knew it really really well unless you loved it and it's pretty obvious mike myers loves those early bond movies yeah absolutely and like the six and and he also loves the sort of bawdy British comedies from the 60s. I mean, we'll talk about it later, but there's that one mm-hmm. scene where um, Elizabeth Hurley, who plays Mrs. Uh, Kensington, Vanessa, uh, Ms. Kensington. Vanessa Kensington, like she's like on the phone with her mom and like you see a naked Austin in the background and then they do that whole thing where it's like kind of suggestive things happening in the background while she's on the phone and yeah. it's kind of like, you know, like a phallic references and what have you. Yeah, I mean, very visual gag, so it's not, you know, we're not going to bore you to explain it thoroughly, but, uh, but yeah, that's the type of thing that, I don't know, I've never seen any of the, like, the British carry-on films, but I imagine that's the type of thing that they did in those, but, uh. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of something, like, I'd see in Benny Hill or something like that, because I used to be big on Benny Hill when I was a kid, back when they had it on, uh, uh, WOR Channel 9 here in in the tri-state area. Mm-hmm. And like that would always remind me of something like that. We see like, oh, a topless woman, uh, in fr- you know, standing behind two pairs of you know cassava melons, and you you giggle right. and giggle because melons. Equal- exactly, exactly. 
But uh, yeah, so this is a lot of fun movie. Uh, movies uh, directed by Jay Roche. Uh, Jay Roche, uh, I believe it's his uh, his first movie or, or one of his first movies. They were saying in the oral history, he he just he he wasn't real experienced as a director, but Mike Myers sent the script to him uh, because they were just buddies, and Jay Roach gave him like ten pages of notes. Uh, so so Jay Roach was really into uh, the movie too. Um, so should we dive into our plot summary? Let's do this. Okay. Well, the movie opens uh, in 1967, somewhere outside of Las Vegas. And we've got a gathering of bad guys, just like in the Bond movie Thunderball. They're all sitting at a table together, and we hear the voice of Dr. Evil from off screen. His face is hidden from us, uh, just very much like what they did with Blofeld in the early James Bond movies. They didn't reveal Blofeld's face until like the fifth Bond movie, You Only Live Twice. Uh, so they're, oh. they're playing homage to that. I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll note the little James Bond references as we go. Uh, but he's he's got a bunch of bad guys at the table, and as his minions are failing him, he he presses a button on his control and and dumps them out of their chairs into a uh, into a fire pit. As you do, yeah, as you do, and and again, that's very much like uh, what happens in the movie Thunderball. Although I, in there, I think the chairs are electrified, but. Uh, but you know, uh, so they're they're having fun with it. They're just putting a little twist on it, make it a little more absurd and over the top. Right. Uh, but it get but it gets off to a uh, to a fun start. He's got uh, this German henchwoman, uh, Frau Farbissina, who's played by yep. uh, Mindy Sterling. Yeah, I, I Mindy Sterling. She she's a groundling, right? Yes, yes, she is. Yeah, and. Uh, and Mike Myers, I think, maybe wrote this movie for it. I'll tell you, when I first saw this movie, I thought that it was Sherry O'Terry playing Frau, Frau Farbissina, and she was just in some makeup to make her look <laughs> a little older. Um, but uh, No, I could, see, I could see her playing that part. Actually, I remember if you look at the trailer for Austin mm -hmm. Powers, I think Sherry O'Terry, she was in the movie, but I think she got yeah. cut out. Yeah, like, that sounds right. Yeah, because there's like a scene where she is like an airline stewardess on the on the on Austin Powers plane. That's and right. Yeah, she says we're we're called flight attendants now. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Yeah, so I thought that was uh, I thought that was Sherry O'Terry doubling up on the role, but uh, I was very surprised when I found out. Oh no, it's a whole other person. So <laughs> oh, and retroactive uh, uh, apologies to Mindy Sterling. You were very yeah, funny in the movie. Mindy Sterling, born in Patterson, New Jersey, Jersey connection. Ooh, Jersey strong. Mm -hmm. That is cool. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and we've got another SNL alum as uh, another Dr. Evil henchman. We've got Will Ferrell as uh, Mufasa. Mustafa. Or, or Mustafa, excuse me. Um, Mufasa's the Lion King, right? Yeah, that's a totally different thing. Okay, so he is not playing a lion cub in this movie. He is not, no. Okay. He, he's playing like this vaguely uh, Middle Eastern man, and he's got a fez, and he, they, they give him a little bit of eyeliner to make him look, <laughs> quote-unquote, foreign, as you did in the 60s. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it gets close to being like, is, is this offensive? But uh... I mean, they, don't, they don't put him in brownface, and, and they're obviously parroting the way movies 
used to do that sort of thing. So yeah, that's I, true. I think it's okay in that regard. Yeah, it's not like short circuit. Exactly. Yeah, they're they're poking fun at at, at casting a white dude as as Middle Eastern people. So that makes it okay. Yay! Um, <laughs> Yay! Loopholes. But uh, yeah, and he uh, we and we hear Doctor Evil is he's petting a cat just like Blofeld did in all the Bond movies, and he says, "I'm gonna kill Austin Powers." And we cut to swinging London, and we see Austin Powers dancing around to uh, the song Soul Bossa Nova by uh, Quincy Jones. Great song. Great song. I don't think I'd ever heard the song before this movie. Had you? Um, no. I mean, I know it was, it was a bit of a hit back in the 60s, but yeah, like this movie, you know, much like Bohemian Rhapsody, the way uh, Mike Myers brought that back, he huh? brought back Soul Bossa Nova. Because yeah, I don't think I remember hearing the song before this movie either. That's really interesting, yeah. Um, so yeah, Mike, Mike Myers revival does revivals of the old songs. Uh, so that's, that's really cool. He brings back the oldies like, uh, Tarantino did with, uh, Travolta and, uh, the other people. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, but we see, we see, uh, Austin Powers, who's, who's a fashion photographer slash secret agent. But he's he's he is world famous in the world of Austin Powers because he's just that awesome. Yeah, uh, like the opening scene kind of reminded me of a Hard Day's Night, the way absolutely. like all the like all the women are chasing after him, like it's Austin Powers, and he's like yeah, yeah. doing all these cheeky things to escape them. And they they even pay homage to a couple of the gags in the opening of a Hard Day's Night, where Austin's like reading a magazine. Uh, with his face on the cover, and he lo and we see him in a phone booth, and he's got a fake beard on. It's very much like what Paul McCartney was doing at the opening of Hard Day's Night, where he had a fake mustache, and he's sitting with his grandfather. Oh, it's my grandfather. It's my grandfather. You know, <laughs> oh, I met my grandfather, and that's not him. <laughs> well, everybody's entitled to two, aren't they? You know, and that's me. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, side note: I love a Hard Day's Night, and. If I could find an excuse to talk about it on this podcast, I would. We'll find we'll find a way, my friend. We'll find yeah. a way. Well, hey, Paul's Paul's been on SNL. George has been on SNL. Ringo's been on SNL. There it is, right there. Yeah. What, what have you we, got? We can do. Yeah, that's three hosts, right there. That's it. Let's make it happen. We're doing a hard day's night. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> we're just breaking all the rules. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, but we have, we have this, this nice, uh, dance sequence with Austin and, and everyone dancing around London, uh, twisting and fruging and doing all those sixties dances, yeah. um, mashed potato, mashed potato. And, and, um, and we meet Mimi Rogers as Mrs. Kensington, who's his, uh, who's his spying partner. Uh, so very much like Mrs. Peel on the old Avengers show from the 1960s. Uh, where we had uh, uh, Diana Rigg playing Emma Peel, uh, oh. and 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 we we see Austin. He gets into uh, his Shagwar, a, a Jaguar that's painted with a British Union Jack, and and there's intentionally bad rear projection behind the car as they're driving, which is just very funny. The hoot. They get a call from uh, Basil Exposition uh, from British Intelligence. Uh, it was played by Michael York, the great Michael York, um, 
who says, Dr. Evil is setting a trap for Austin in the Electric Psychedelic Pussycat Swingers Club in Swinging London. Yes, and of course, when somebody tells you they're setting a trap for you, you go straight to that trap. That is spying 101, exactly. <laughs> um, Let me walk right into this trap. Yes, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it would be rude not to go into the trap. Your bad guy, your arch nemesis has is, is gone to all that trouble to set that trap for you. I mean, what are you going to do? Just not show? Yeah. What are you, raising a barn? Yeah. Got no, yeah. Got no manners? That's just manners. I mean, uh, you, you, you go to the trap, you bring a nice bottle of wine, um, <laughs> you know, probably a white because right. it goes with everything. Nice, yeah. A nice um, Zinfandel. Exactly. Nice Zinfandel. Um, but, uh, Austin and Mrs. Kensington, they go to the party and, and he's, you know, and it's a swing place. We've got go-go dancers and they're playing incense peppermints by the, uh, strawberry alarm clock. And Austin goes, it's my happening and it freaks me out, which is a, a reference to, I think, beyond the Valley of the Dolls, if I remember correctly. Really? Wow. I totally didn't catch that one. Dude, this, yeah. you're on fire this episode. Yeah, well, uh, there are a lot of references in this movie. I'm not 100% sure on that one, but I, I believe it is one of the ba Valley of the Dolls movies. Um, okay. Well, I mean, do you also want to talk about this one cameo that we thought we saw that or may or not be who we think yeah. is? Yeah, like we both saw this. We both noticed this, and I actually tweeted about this, on, uh, uh, and I, I retweeted it from the SNL Nerds Twitter account. There is... We see Andy Warhol, and the guy who plays Andy Warhol looks eerily like John Mulaney. A lot like John Mulaney. Like eerily. And 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 our our friends at the Decomposition Podcast, they pointed out, no, that can't be John Mulaney because John Mulaney was a teenager in 1997. He was, and I looked it up, he was literally 15 years old uh, when this movie came out. Um <laughs> So, so it means he he probably would have been fourteen when this was shot. So it can't be John Mulaney, but it looks eerily like John Mulaney. So who the hell is that guy? I don't know. I I'm now working with the theory that John Mulaney is actually a time traveler, mm, and that he he invented time travel, or perhaps got into a Doc Brown DeLorean and traveled back in time to star in Austin Powers. Mm. Or perhaps even use okay. the, the time travel device from the second Austin Powers movie to travel back in time and star in the first Austin Powers movie. Okay. Or maybe he is the phone booth from Bill and Ted's, and then he got back in time to star in the Austin Powers movie, too. I mean, that's possible. I don't want to discount any possibilities, um, but I think... John Mulaney has a, a famous routine about Back to the Future, so maybe maybe he put that in there to throw people off the track that he is actually a time traveler. Where we're going, we don't need roads. <laughs> we're going back to the future, but it's set in the past. no, it's back to the future, but it's set in the past. <laughs> I am your density. I mean, that's the name. <laughs> but, but anyway, the Andy Warhol looks eerily like John Mulaney. And I would also like to note that uh, Bill Hader has also uh, also played Andy Warhol in a movie. He was Andy Warhol in Men in Black 3. Oh, wow. I didn't even see that one. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 If you ever see Men in Black 3, Bill Hader as Andy Warhol. So check it out. Far out. But sadly, sadly, not John Mulaney. But uh, it should be John Mulaney. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. So uh, as far as the movie goes, um, oh, oh, yeah, there's also one point where there's like a like a hostess at this party mm -hmm. trying to, I think, seduce Austin Powers. But she Austin punches her in the face. And everybody's like, why'd you punch that woman in the face? It's like, that's no woman. That's a madman. And he, yeah, yeah. And, and I want to note that uh, actress who played like the, the waitress, uh, that is uh, Patricia Talman, who uh, is probably best known for starring in the remake of uh, Night of the Living Dead. And also she was a regular on the show Babylon 5. And she's, she's also a stunt uh, performer. So right. that's, that's why she, I'm sure that's why she was cast in the role because she could take a fake punch and fall down. Yeah, but still, it was shocking because, like, that's horrible to do to a woman, which is like, oh, mm -hmm. no, don't, don't do that, man. That's fucked up. But, but it's, it's a fun gag because as soon as it cuts away from her, we see this obvious man dressed up in the same cocktail dress that she was in, and everyone's yeah. like startled. So it's, it's making fun of like the cheesy kind of effects or doubles that they they would have in movies of like the early 60s. No, absolutely. Absolutely. But so then that happens and then we see Dr. Evil tries to shoot at Austin Powers, but you, we still don't see his face. Uh then Austin and uh Kensington go chase after Dr. Evil. Dr. Evil runs into this egg-shaped uh cryogenic uh cryogenic freezing machine and then he just sort of mm -hmm. takes off into outer space where he frees himself and he's just sort of circling, you know, outer space in a uh, Bob's Big Boy shaped uh, spaceship. Yes, yes. Um, I, I know this all sounds like a fever dream I had, but I swear it's true. Yes, this is actually what happens in the movie, and we are less than ten minutes into the movie. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so, so the Bob's Big Boy uh, statue, or or whatever you you call it, the. It's it's orbiting, it's orbiting around the Earth, and uh, Doctor Evil and his cat, uh, Mister Bigglesworth, are are both frozen in uh, cryogenically frozen. And then we cut to 1997, 30 years later, and oh. radar picks up the Bob's Big Boy uh, statue. And we got the two of our great character actors, uh, Clint Howard and Charles Napier, picking it up. Yeah, always fun to see them. Exactly. So they see, oh, wow, it's Dr. Evil. He's returned. We need to get our, our top spy. We need to get Austin Powers, who, as we learn, he also froze himself, you know, just in, you know, just in case when um, Dr. Evil would return to Earth. Right, right. And we, we see them going into the place where they have the cryogenically frozen people. We, and they pass by Gary Coleman and Vanilla Ice, who are just, you know, they're both waiting for their time to come. Yeah. <laughs> that was like wow. That that is a uh, dated reference. <laughs> well, yeah, but uh, um, so so they defaw uh, Austin Powers. He comes out, and and we have Austin. He's he's basically just in a he, he's naked out of the out of the cryogenic chamber, and he's he's and we got a naked Mike Myers, and he's yeah. got this fake chest hair thing to make him look like Sean Connery. Um, is that what that was supposed to be? It was just an oddly shaped chest hair. I noticed. It was like, like what is that? It's kind of like Mickey Mouse ears, but not quite. 
Sean Connery uh, in the early Bond movies, whenever he has his shirt off, he was a very hairy man. This this uh, was an age before manscaping, so uh, you it just was all 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 him, all natural, baby. Oof. And uh, yeah, I mean, this whole plot, the whole you know freezing and freezing, it reminded me of the movie of the Demolition Man too. I think they were playing, I think they were paying homage to that movie as well because that movie came out like four years before this. Yeah, I. I was trying to remember if Demolition Man was before or after this movie, and uh, it doesn't surprise me too much to find out that it was after. And I, re I, I don't think I've ever seen Demolition Man all the way through, but I remember when uh, my roommate in college, uh, Scott, hi hey Scott, he's a listener of the podcast. Um, we, uh, when he had his bachelor party, he he lives up in Minnesota, and we went to the Planet Hollywood at the Mall of America in Minnesota. And hanging over our table was a a prop that they used in that movie. It's this giant naked Sylvester Stallone that that was defrosted from the movie Demolition Man. So we that was, oh. that was Scott's uh, bachelor party. We're we're eating burgers and fries and having tall jugs of beer. Uh, underneath a gigantic fake naked Sylvester Stallone. Um, I, I'm speechless. I don't, I don't know what to say about that. But it, but it obviously was a good omen because uh, uh, Scott uh, is still married to his lovely life, wife Lori, and they've they've got three kids. So, so the key to a good marriage is to eat underneath a naked. Okay. <laughs> Uh, eating underneath a giant naked Sylvester Stallone. I mean, really, that's the only possible reason. Hmm. All right. Well. All right. Well, there you go, people. The that's a little that's a little helpful hint here we offer at the at the SNL nerds. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you know, it it struck me when we're seeing Austin uh, thought out. We've seen quite a few male SNL cast members stripped down for comedic purposes in the movies we've watched for this podcast. We've we've seen Tim Meadows and the Ladies' Man. We've we've seen uh, naked Will Ferrell just a little yeah. while ago, and now we're seeing a naked Mike Myers. I mean, naked is funny, especially with dudes. It's yeah. naked dudes are are generally very funny. Oh, Will Forte and uh, MacGruber. Oh yeah! Hey, how could I forget Will Forte? Yeah, I mean, I mean uh, the, the celery thing. Good God! Yeah, yeah. So, uh... <laughs> do you need a minute? I might need a minute. I might need a minute. I I'd, I'd forgotten about that and uh, blocked out those memories. But I'm, I'm so sorry. Anyway, uh, Austin is is dethought. He finds out that the Cold War is over. Uh, there's a very funny gag where he's like, "Hey, congratulations, comrades! We showed those capitalist bastards what for." And then they have to point out, uh, "No, we we actually won the Cold War. It's the Russians who lost." So. Like, oh. And so. uh, yeah, so after he's he's getting briefed up of what's happened in the past thirty years, they introduce him to Miss Ms. Kensington. Uh, Mrs. Kensington's daughter, who is mm -hmm. played by uh, Elizabeth Hurley, who, yes. uh, oh my, yeah, very very striking woman. She is, uh, she of course, started as a model, but uh, sort of segued into the acting. Uh, she did, she's great in this movie. I I really liked her. Yeah, yeah, no, she's good. Yeah, I mean, she's. I mean, for for most of the movie, she has to play the the straight man to Mike Myers, but she also has some 
funny and charming movies in her own right. And I think this is probably one of her, her trademark movies, I would say. Yeah, she was good. I, th- I liked her in, uh, remember that movie Bedazzled or Bedeviled or something? Like that? Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Uh, Bedazzled, underrated comedy. Yeah, it was actually, I remember watching it one day. I was just bored at home and I was like, oh, this is actually pretty funny. It, it shocked yeah. me. Her, her and, and Brendan Fraser, uh, she actually plays the devil. And uh, and if you enjoy looking at Elizabeth Hurley, she will be in most any sort of fetish outfit that you would care to name over the course of that movie. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, was, I mean, during this outbreak, I mean, dude, this is this is your time. Go Go for it and watch that movie. Have yourself a little Elizabeth Hurley movie marathon, and and you will enjoy. Yeah, the dazzled underrated movie, uh, directed by the great Harold Ramis. Yes, R.I.P. Um. So and uh, and Austin, there he's told that the world is a different place since the 1960s, and and he says, well, don't worry, as as long as people are having promiscuous sex with many anonymous partners without protection while at the same time experimenting with mind-expanding drugs in a consequence-free environment, I'll be sound as a pound. <laughs> I do like that, the way that, um, that Mike Myers kind of, I don't want to say takes the piss out of, but like the way he kind of mocks the, the 60s a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that I mean, that, that, that's a beautifully written little speech there. And and it sets up a lot of the humor of this movie is is contrasting the free love 1960s with the more uptight politically correct 1990s. So so that's fun. Where where over the course of the movie, Austin finds out that his way of doing things is rather outdated. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so then he we go he goes to collect his effects, and then we get this whole scene. Where um, he's kind of given his stuff back, you know, a la uh, the opening of the Blues Brothers, where, right. uh, where our man just gives him his effects, like you know, his uh, Italian leather shoes and his uh, his medallion with the male symbol on it, and mm-hmm. uh, and there's this uh, penis pump that he that he gets too. Swedish he, penis pump. Swedish, yes. And he assumes, and he he's saying, oh, it's not mine, it's not mine. I don't know how that got in there. Like, oh, here's the receipt with your name on it. Oh, that's, I don't know. Someone's playing a prank on me. That's not mine. That's not my baby. Because Miss Kensington is right there. She's like, right. oh, here's here's the warranty for your penis pump that you filled out. That's, it's not mine, baby. It's not mine. And then this thing, that type of thing is not my bag, baby. And then he says, one book <laughs> written by Mr. Austin Powers. Swedish penis pump. This sort of thing is my bag, baby. Yeah. And and Austin is literally on the cover holding a, the Swedish penis pump. <laughs> Yeah, uh, very very funny sequence builds really nicely. Uh, the guy playing uh, the 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 clerk returning Austin's items to him is played by Mike Myers' old comedy partner uh, Neil Malarkey. They uh, they were a comedy team by the name of uh, Myers and Malarkey or Malarkey and Myers. I forget which, but uh, that's pretty cool. It's, huh. uh, yeah, Mike Myers throwing uh, his old friend uh, a, a bit part there. And dude, Malarkey, that's a Awesome last name. Great name. Great name for comedy, too. Like, it, dude, I'm jealous. I wish my name was... wish my last name was Malarkey. Also calling you Darren Malarkey. That's fine. Oh, thank you. Everyone, and, uh, yeah, and there's also... Well... I was just going to say everything one was, would think that you're a Joe Biden supporter, but I don't know if that was I, a funny enough gag for us to stop. But Okay. No, I, I, I see what you did there. I respect it. Uh, yeah. And then something else that they do throughout the movie is they have these interstitials 
that come mm -hmm. in throughout the movie that kind of reminds me of like um I guess like an episode of Laughing or maybe some sixties oh. sitcom where it's just like awesome powers with this sixties, you know, psychedelic band and it's like, you know, it's like them goofing around and then they go cut to another scene. Yeah, that's actually a band that they formed for the movie called Ming T, and two of the other members of that band are Susanna Hoffs from the Bangles. Oh. And and Matthew Sweet. What? Yeah, yeah. So girlfriend? Susie, exactly. Yes, girlfriend. Classic rock album. If you've never uh, heard Matthew Sweet uh, album, girlfriend, do yourself a favor. Just go download that on iTunes and have yourself a listen. Um, but uh, Susanna Hall from the Bengals actually married to the director of this movie, Jay Roach. Oh, that I knew. I think I, Jay Roach mentioned it because he was on a uh, Mark Maron's podcast. I think I knew that. Uh huh. Uh huh. And uh, and. Mike Meyer, or excuse me, Mike, I keep saying Mike Myers, Matthew Sweet and Susanna Hoffs ended up doing a lot of musical collaborations after this movie, going forward from this movie. Um, mm -hmm. they've, they've done three albums of cover songs uh, under the names uh, Sid and Susie. Uh, they're called Under the Covers, where the first one, they, they cover songs in the 60s, second one, they cover songs in the 70s, and the third one, they cover songs in the 80s, and all of them are great. Oh, I'll check it out. Sit in the what's it called? Under the covers. Under the covers. All right, I'll check it out. There's volumes one, two, and three. Um, so download those after you you download the uh, Austin Powers soundtrack and Matthew Sweet's girlfriend. Right, but so uh, there, yeah, that, that's, that's I mean, like those, a half those albums I just recommended to you people. You're welcome. Hey, you're welcome, America. We're doing our part. And so we, then we cut back to uh, Dr. Evil's lair and we find out what's going on with him. Uh, and Dr. Evil, he meets. Uh, it turns out that after a few years of waiting for Dr. Evil to come back, his henchmen got a little impatient. And so they decided to try and clone Dr. Evil. And they, they, the results of that were he has a son uh, named Scott Evil, played by Seth Green. Yes. He has a he has a son now, and uh, yeah, it's weird because like you you would think when you hear he has a son, he would look like Doctor Evil, but he looks nothing. He looks like uh, Seth Green and uh, Austin and uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Just like comes in dressed up all nineties up, and he's like, yeah, oh, yeah. I, like, he's oh, wearing he's... a Kurt Cobain T shirt, um, <laughs> as we all did in the nineties. Exactly, exactly. Um, do you know who this part was originally written for, Darren? I do not. It was originally this is this is going to surprise you. It was originally written for Colin Quinn. Huh? Because <laughs> if you think about oh, it, it, yeah, Colin, what? Yeah, just, just try to imagine Colin Quinn playing Scott Evil. But I mean, if you do the math, Scott Evil should be like a, about thirty or about twenty-eight himself. So. At the time, Colin Quinn was closer to the right age than, than Seth Green was. I guess so. Why? Wow, I didn't even think about that. But, uh, yeah, but Colin Quinn turned down the part of Scott Evil. Uh, and, and so they ended up going with, with uh, Scott Green, or Seth Green. I mean, those are two totally different people. Why would, why would, if you wanted to have Colin Quinn but couldn't get Colin Quinn, why don't you get... I'm surprised they didn't go for like a more Colin Quinn type. They just went 
totally in the other direction. But like, yeah, oh, can't get yeah. Colin I Quinn. Guess, Let's get Seth Green. I guess they just decided to go younger with it. I don't know, but I, I just, I find that hilarious that originally Colin Quinn was supposed to be uh, Scott Evil. That is bonkers. That is bonkers, oh. right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, also in the movie, we also Doctor uh, Evil introduces everybody to, you know, introduces his henchmen, including Frau Forbissena, played by Mindy Sterling, who founded the militant wing of the Salvation Army. Mm-hmm. He has uh, another henchman, Random Task, who like throws his shoe at people. That's his big yeah. move. Yeah, uh, who Random Task is of course it's it's like a dead-on parody of Odd Job from the the James Bond movie Goldfinger, who had a razor-brimmed uh, hat that he would throw and it could like take the head off a statue, but Random Task instead just throws a shoe. <laughs> who throws a shoe? Honestly, honestly. Uh, we um, also have his um, uh, Patty O'Brien, who is you know the right. Irish kind of tough guy. And uh, he leaves like a he always leaves like a little charm at the end of his kills, and then he yeah. says something like, "Oh yeah, you know Scotland Yard, yeah, they're always the cops are always after me, lucky charms," and everyone giggles. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then Frau Forbissena has a little bit where she explains the the whole lucky charms mascot thing to him, and that's that's an improv by uh, Mindy Sterling. So uh, tip oh, the hat to nice. Mindy Sterling there, very funny moment. Yeah, and then we learn about. Dr. Evil's number two man, who's called number two, who, ha- who handles uh, VirtuCon, which is the uh, business front that they use to uh, sort of, you know, look to be like the cover of all their evil doings. And number two is played by the great Robert Wagner. Great Robert Wagner. Um, I mean, he's, he's had one of the all-time great Hollywood careers. He just goes back forever. I remember seeing him as a kid on, on Heart to Heart. That was where I first saw him. Um, that was like a detective show with uh, some married oh, yeah. detectives in it. But yeah, uh, yeah, Robert Wagner, very funny in this movie. Very, very suave, very handsome Robert Wagner. Right. Yeah, and he's good. You could feel. You could tell he's like the more capable type of henchman. Uh, but he's like number two to Doctor Evil, who's a bit of a a, a dimwit. Yeah. Yeah. And and e- even more so because Doctor Evil is very out of date and his. His cultural references. He wants to hold the world for ransom for one million dollars, which he thinks is this outrageous sum of money. But then, then number two has to patiently explain to him, well, because of inflation and all that, one million dollars isn't all that much money anymore. Yeah, like VirtuCon alone makes a couple billion, and they're like, yeah. oh, billion—that's a lot of money. Yeah. So, so Doctor Evil, he he. Revises his plans and and he's like, well, we'll hold the world ransom for one billion dollars. Um, yeah. And, um, do we also did we mention that Mike Myers plays Doctor Evil too? I mean, did not. And we should probably also mention one of the partial inspirations for Doctor Evil. Let's go into it. Yeah, is uh, uh, Mike Myers is basically doing an impression of Lorne Michaels throughout this movie as Doctor Evil. Yeah, that's right. So he, so Mike has come out and said, "Oh yeah, this is just Lorne." Oh, I mean, he—it's not a hundred percent Lorne. It is, it is Lorne's mannerisms and his voice. Uh, but the look of Doctor Evil is very much Donald Pleasance in the movie, the James Bond movie "You Only Live Twice." With you know, he's got the Nehru jacket, he's got the bald head, he's got the cat, he's got the scar. 
So it is very much Donald Pleasance in certain mannerisms. But when Dr. Evil is like complaining about how he's not getting the thing he wanted, that's Lauren Michaels. Oh, I'm the boss. I need the info. Exactly. Right. Uh, right. Yeah, and, when he went right. Like yeah. that's that's pure Lauren. That is pure Lauren. And and apparently, like lots of people who've who've been on SNL have done Lauren impressions, but Mike Myers is the first guy who ended up putting a Lauren impression on screen. And apparently Lauren Ooh. did do the little pinky thing, pinky to the mouth thing in real life, but he has apparently since stopped doing it, probably because of Dr. Evil. Oh. <laughs> it's like, oh, damn it, I can't do that no more. I mean, if if you're, you know, if you inspire a character who's called Dr. Evil, you probably don't want to invite that comparison too, too much. <laughs> yeah, you don't want life imitating art or vice versa. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to say this off the top of the head, like, uh, Dr. Evil, I find him a lot more interesting and funnier than Awesome powers. Like I, I, I remember feeling that way when I first saw it at, at home. Mm-hmm. Like, like oh, the Doctor Evil guy is really hilarious. I feel like a lot of people do like uh, Doctor Evil better than than Austin Powers. Yeah, um, I think you you can really sympathize with Doctor Evil at times. But yeah, very. But it's a it's a very funny comic creation. And the the fun thing is like the two characters they aren't really like each other at all. I mean, they are completely different, and it just shows you what a talented actor uh, Mike Myers is. No, absolutely. But, uh, anyway, but anyway, we cut back to Austin Powers, who's he's on his like uh, jumbo jet, and he starts, of course, sexually harassing uh, Vanessa Kensington, who's not really yeah. having any of it. She's just not interested in any of his advances, finds them all. What was all right. like, suave and cool in the 60s is now just kind of sad and and creepy in the 90s. Yeah, it's very Pepe Le Pew. Exactly. That's that's a great way to put it. Um, so they, they go to Las Vegas to track down Dr. Evil's plan to try and figure that out. And uh, right. they, they go to a casino in Vegas. Uh, they, they go to a blackjack table. The dealer is played by Larry Thomas, who is the soup Nazi on Seinfeld. Oh, I didn't even realize that, dude. You are yeah, you are yeah. killing it. You are killing Apparently it today. They gave, they gave him this part because they liked him so much as the soup Nazi on Seinfeld. Huh? Oh. How about that? That was pretty fun. Are you still there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Okay, okay. You were just very quiet, so I didn't know if we'd lost you or not. Um, no, I was just soaking in the knowledge, man. <laughs> and uh, let's see. We we also have. Um, we we meet uh, Austin meets number two Robert Wagner there and the the woman on number two's arm is Alada Pachina uh, played by uh, Fabinia Udenio who I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly who is uh, just this Bentai. staggeringly beautiful woman and uh, and then Austin develops this plan to seduce her yes well actually no I think I've, well yeah well I mean I think at first. Uh, he's, you know, when you hear the name a lot of the, her name, you think, oh, that's supposed to be like Pussy Galore. I've, I knew yeah. that much. Uh, but then I think Austin follows number two into the men's room because yes. he wants to find out where, what the Dr. Evil is up to. And then yeah. he, um, I think he follows him into a bathroom stall 
And then uh, we also see uh, another casino goer going in, this loud, brash man in a cowboy hat. Of course, it's Tom Arnold. Played by Tom Arnold, another little unexpected cameo in the movie. Um, and the gag there is, like, as Austin steps into his stall, a, uh, a vent opens up behind him, and then the Patty O'Brien, the Irish assassin from earlier in the movie, he tries to strangle Austin with his uh, charm bracelet, uh, using it as, like, a garrote. And, and so... In the next stall over, Tom Arnold is just hearing Austin being strangled, just going, and he thinks he's doing what you typically do in a bathroom. Yeah. He says, like, oh, hey, you can't force him, and you're going to blow out your whole ring. Yeah. And, and it, it, it's, I go back and forth on this scene because I do kind of like how Tom Arnold plays it in certain moments. I, I love it. He's like, all right, calm down. We're going to get through this. And I love it. <laughs> I, I love that moment just because it's suddenly it's like it's a hostage negotiation and he's like he's trying to talk him through this. I love that he's that Tom Arnold's character is so sympathetic to this complete stranger having problems in the next stall. He's being supportive. He's probably been there before. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it is it it, it does get a little gross with some of the sound effects because like Austin's yeah. dumping the Patty O'Brien's head into the toilet and you hear a, like you hear a lot of gurgling. Yeah. And he's screaming, who does number two work for? Who does yeah. number two work for? Yeah. And then, then Tom's like, yeah, you show you show that turtle who's boy. Yeah. So I mean I I, I kind of love and hate this scene in equal measure. <laughs> yeah, no, it's kind of gross out, but it's not I mean it's not super gross out. You don't see anything too gross. No, out. no. It's I think it would be more repulsive than funny if, if like, he was, you know, if if you like saw any fecal matter or anything like that. But uh, yeah, but it's it, just gross. It's yeah. I think it's the sound effects. I think it's the sound effects that get me. No, I, that, you're fair enough. That's a fair enough. Yeah. Sense. I'm not fair a big enough. one for the gross out humor in general. So, uh, but no, you know, no, you're, you're I, you're, it's a quick scene. You're a classy guy. I am. I am. I, I am classy, uh, mahogany, leather-bound books, all that stuff. <laughs> uh, so so anyway, uh, Austin, after this, after he defeats the henchman, he goes up to a lot of vagina's penthouse uh, and and seduces her. They they get into a hot tub together, and uh, as, as she's seducing him, uh, she discovers that he is not is ironclad alias Opie Cunningham, but he is actually Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, because she finds a business card reading Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, in his wallet. Ah. Is that is that something that uh, Sean Connery did in the James Bond movie? Oh, I mean, I think it I think this is just kind of playing on in in a lot of the Bond movies, we have like James Bond who's like this secret agent but yet somehow in some of the movies, he's also world famous and known like there's a, in, uh, in diamonds are forever. There's a bit where uh, bond kills a henchman and he switches uh, wallets with the guy. So the, the woman, she looks at, at, at his, his ID and she goes, Oh, you just killed James Bond. And it's like, well, how do you know who James Bond is? He's a secret agent. Nobody's supposed to know who he is. Yeah. Secret. <laughs> secret so so this movie's just having fun with that um 
Right. So, so, th- yeah. so then he gets into the hot tub with her, and you know he has some sake, and he gets all relaxed, and you know he accidentally breaks wind in front of her. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, how dare you break wind before me? He's like, oh, I'm sorry, baby. I didn't know it was your turn. <laughs> yep. 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 He's smooth. He's smooth. And <laughs> yeah, a uh, very funny scene. Very funny scene. And uh, yeah. And then and, of course, uh, uh, go ahead. They, then they have uh, they have uh, in, in intimacy or intimate time. Yes, yes. He shags her. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Shags are rotten. <laughs> I remember laughing at that term like uh, when, I, when I first saw. It, I was like, I don't, I've I've never heard that before, but I was like, that's that's pretty hilarious. Yeah, I mean, shag shag is a British uh, slang word. It's not really used. I, I don't think it was really known in the U.S. before this movie. I mean, that popularized it. But, I mean, to us, it's a very silly-sounding word. But to in Britain, I believe it is, or at least was, considered a profanity. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like, if you go to Britain, it's like using the F word. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so it's very funny, like, all through the movie, Austin's saying, like, oh, well, shall we shag now or shall we shag later? Um, but it's, just, it's, it's a silly-sounding word. It's a goofy word, but yeah, it's definitely it's this yeah, it's, it's it's a funny term. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should also mention before this that uh, Austin and Vanessa were like checking out uh, the casino, trying to find out more about Doctor Evil's plans, and uh, somehow that that ends up with them going out on a date, like a night on the town, and they're on this top of this double decker bus, having yeah. drinks and. Uh, you know, getting to know each other, and then, then they have like a cameo by the great Burt Bacharach playing piano oh, yeah. on top of a bus. I didn't mean to uh, skip over uh, Burt Bacharach, and and also like Vanessa, she's starting to like like Austin at this point. She starts falling to his charms somehow. Uh, yeah, the, the movie kind of glosses over this. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it kind of does. It, yeah, I mean, it's basically like. Well, Vanessa starts liking Austin because the script says she has to at this point. We don't. We never, <laughs> we never really quite see why she starts liking him, but she just does. Yes. Insert attraction here. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So so many movies where like you know comedians are are with the <laughs> these women who in real life are just so out of their league. It's oh it's, oh it, dude, it, it's kind it. of funny. You know, it adds up after a while. I mean, like just just last week we had Will Ferrell and Christina Applegate. A few weeks ago we had Chris Rock and Rosario Dawson. And in this movie, Mike Myers and Elizabeth Hurley. It's it's a proud tradition. It's something else. And and you and you know what? If I was writing myself a comedy movie, I would do the exact same thing. Right. <laughs> Cecily Strong's agent would be getting a call. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, so so anyway, uh, but while this is all going on with Austin, we cut back to Doctor Evil. We discover he's he's got a group of evil robots called the Fembots, who are all these startlingly beautiful blonde women who have uh, like gun barrels that come out where their nipples would be, and they can. You know, so so it's gonna lure Austin into like a thirst trap, basically. Yeah, like uh, like sirens in Greek mythology. And and exactly, yeah. And uh, I understand one of the the fembots was played by Cindy Margolis. Uh, do you remember Cindy Margolis? That name sounds familiar. Yeah. 
in the early days of the internet, she made a name of herself uh, because she was she was a model, and she became like the most downloaded woman on the internet in in like the early days of the internet in the early oh. to mid nineties, and uh, yeah, so she became she became famous for that, and she's she's one of the fembots. I don't oh. the fembots don't really talk much, so I and I couldn't even tell you which fembot she was, but I just thought that was worth noting. Oh, okay. And uh, we also see uh, Doctor Evil and his son Scott. They go to an encounter group to try yeah, and work out their fractured relationship. Yes, uh, the group therapy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, who who do we have playing the group therapy leader? But but Carrie Fisher. Yes, of course. Who else? Who else? I mean, it, you know, if anybody knows dysfunctional. Uh, parent-child relationships. It's Carrie Fisher. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Then we. Then it's, I mean, I, I thought this was like one of the funniest scenes in the movie, where it's basically like them trying to. It's Doctor Evil and Scotty trying to connect, and the yeah. and Scotty's telling the counselor, saying, "Yeah, like sometimes I get a feeling like he's trying to kill me or something," and everybody yeah. laughs, like, "Oh, he's not trying to kill you," but then Doctor Evil's like, "Oh yeah, no, the boy's quite astute. I, I am actually trying to." Yeah, uh, but he's quite wily, like his old man. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and at one point in this movie, uh, Doctor Evil he gives his bio biography, his whole backstory, and he's like, "Oh, my my uh, father was this, and my mother was a French prostitute, and blah, blah, blah. and and there's all this weird, bizarre detail in it. And it is if you've ever read any of the James Bond books, this is like a pitch perfect parody of the sort of biographies that Ian Fleming would give to all of his bad guys. Is that what it, is that what that's parodying? Yeah, it is it is very, very Ian Fleming-esque. Um, but it's just, of course, heightened to the point of absurdity. Uh, okay. Well, actually I have it right now. Like, I don't know, this whole this whole monologue he gave was I found it fan fantastic. If you want to read that monologue, I I would not object to it. I have to. I'm going to get up for a second and, and get some water. But if you have that monologue, you go for it and you read it. Okay. So then, when they asked Dr. Evil to talk about his father and his background, he says the details of my life are quite inconsequential. Very well. Where do I begin? My father was a relentlessly self-improving bourgeois owner from Belgium, with low-grade narcolepsy and a penchant for buggery. My mother was a 15-year-old French prostitute named Chloe with webbed feet. My father would womanize, he would drink, he would make outrageous claims like he invented the question mark. Mm -hmm. sometimes, he, sometimes he would accuse chestnuts of being lazy. The sort of general malaise that only the genius possessed and the insane lament. My childhood was typical. Summers in Rangoon, luge lessons. In the spring, we'd make meat helmets. When I was insolent, I was... <laughs> When I was insolent, I was placed in a burlap bag and beaten with reeds. Pretty standard, really. At the age of 12, I received my first scribe. At the age of 14, a Zoro Zoroastrian named Vilma ritualistically shaved my testicles. There's really nothing like a shorn scrotum. It's breathtaking. I highly suggest it. Ugh. Bravo. I, I remember watching this. I was like, what is going on? It's like, it was so insane, but it's, it held my attention. I was like, mm -hmm. I, I, I can't even, I don't even know where to start with this. 
I mean, that that whole speech is just brilliantly written. It's just filled with all that wonderfully bizarre detail. Um, I remember seeing an interview with Mike Myers years ago where he, he talked about um, the, the line about he invented the question mark. That comes from Charlemagne. Charlemagne apparently in real life invented the question mark. And that little bit of trivia just lodged itself in Mike Myers' brain. Really? <laughs> but it, it's such an absurd sounding detail because you think of the question mark as a thing that's been around for forever. <laughs> yeah, somebody had to invent it. All right. What is a meat helmet? I still don't know what that is. I mean, I just I think just the phrase meat helmet is funny, you know? Good name for a band. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Meat helmet. I would go see that band. Yeah. Oh, the meat helmets are opening downtown at the Palladium. Yeah, yeah, let's go. Let's go. We'll we'll go. Uh Darren can be mistaken for a security guard. Um, uh, oh. Uh, little oh, shout out to stand up routine. Oh, nice. They're opening up for Ming T. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but but okay, also, uh, Mike, My I just want to say before we move on to the next scene, Mike Myers' delivery in this is is also brilliant because he just delivers it in this flat monotone almost, and it's it's like the sort of delivery that you get from all the Bond villains in the Bond movies. Um, it's it all kind of comes from Joseph Wiseman, who played Doctor No, who's who is just very restrained and yes, na 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 na. My father invented the question mark, and just yeah, just very very funny. I'm I'm so glad you had that bio ready to 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 read. I, like, oh, I should I should read that, but I didn't get to it, so I'm really glad you got I, that. I need it. I, he accused Chestnuts of being lazy. What does that even mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that is great, and it's just so it's so wonderfully specific because like that line wouldn't be as funny if it was like something besides a chestnut, it, like a walnut wouldn't be as funny, but yeah. Chestnuts is funnier. That's is funnier. So yeah, if you're writing wow. comedy, get specific, man, because the, 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 the details, the specific details is where it's at. Specific equals funny. Yep. Um, so, uh, cutting back to, uh, Austin and Vanessa. Vanessa finds out uh, that Austin actually had sex with a lot of vagina, and she's very yeah. offended by this because, uh, you know, both because she started to like Austin and she's horrified to find out that he didn't practice safe sex. Oh, only sailors do that. Yeah, only sailors use condoms. And she's like, <laughs> no, Austin. And he's like, oh, well, they should, those filthy buggers. They go from port to port. <laughs> oh. So just, Comically missing the point. Um, yeah. Oh, and there's also a scene where uh, Basil Expedition meets up with Vanessa and Austin, mm -hmm. and he Basil introduces Austin to his mother, and then then there's a bit of a misunderstanding. Yeah, Austin punches out uh, Basil's mother because he thinks that she's also a man because she's so ugly. I I I was skipping over that scene because it's kind of inconsequential from the plot standpoint, but but it's very funny. Uh, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard you saying, but yeah, but uh, so then after, yeah, that's uh, it's a big scene, but I heard you saying. Uh, so then after that, um, Austin kind of takes some time away from Vanessa because she's upset, and he's just trying to sort of maybe get used to this whole new world he's in. Like mm -hmm. even though he's stuck in the sixties and the you know the nineties are a whole new thing. Like at one point he tries to play a CD on a turntable, and that doesn't yeah. go quite well. And we and we get a montage of Austin 
just kind of catching up on the 30 years of history that he missed. We see him like watching the moon landing. And at one point he's making a list of people he knew in the sixties, like Jimi Hendrix or, or Janis uh, Joplin or Mama Cass. And they're all dead under unfortunate circumstances. So, so Austin starts to slowly realize that maybe the way he behaved in the sixties, isn't quite working for the world of 1997. Absolutely. And he can't believe that Liberace was gay. Who saw that coming? You know, he he had so many women who were who were after him. It's startling. Yeah. I'm, I I still haven't quite processed that. I, I I'm gobsmacked, as yeah. they say. Yes, I've been smacked by a gob. <laughs> oh, you. Yeah, it doesn't sound as good when you put it that way, right? It does not. No. <laughs> Um, so, so anyway, uh, Austin and Vanessa, then, uh, they, they infiltrate the, uh, Dr. Evil's headquarters. Uh, they, they go undercover as tourists and these comically bad disguises. And then they do the thing that you always do in spy movies is they overpower two henchmen and they put on their outfits. And, and the gag here is that from the two henchmen that we see, we, there's like this comically overweight woman and this really tall man and they go into the bathrooms, follow them into the bathrooms, and then Austin and Vanessa come out wearing their lab coats, and they both fit perfectly. They are, like, tailored to them. Yeah. It's a, it's a nice little gag if you catch it. Yeah, because if you've, if you've seen any kind of spy movie or thing, that's a thing that happens so much, is uh, that you, you take out somebody and you put on their outfit, and it always fits you. I mean, the only other movie I can yeah. remember having fun with this was... Uh, the first Indiana Jones movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where Indy puts on a jacket from a Nazi he overpowers and it doesn't fit him. Oh, yeah, that's right. See? Oh, oh wait. wait. Actually, I take that back. Die Hard had fun with it, too, because uh, uh, John McClane gets some shoes from a bad guy and they don't fit him. So Raiders right, Lost right. Like the... Die Hard and Austin Powers. Absolutely. Somebody asked you what those three films have in common. That's the answer. That's that's the answer for your next trivia night. Right. You'll be the hit of the party. Will you will? Uh, yeah. So then they make their. I think at this point, uh, the people are starting to realize who they are, and so they try to make an escape. And then they get on a steamroller that mm -hmm. that happens to be there. And then they like. There's. I think they. There's one person in the way, but he's miles kind of far away from them, and he's like shouting stuff, but then they, yeah, they yeah. slowly go towards him. Yeah, that's that's a funny gag. And they're like, if I know in the deleted scenes, there are a few deleted scenes where there are things like the the henchman was about to retire and he's and he there was a retirement party for him and and uh, Rob Lowe was in that scene. They were like meeting up at an Applebee's. And they also had a deleted scene where his like wife gets the call that <laughs> the henchman died trying to stop the super spy. Uh, oh yeah, 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 that's right. I remember that. But I think I think it's one of those those deleted scenes where it's it's a funny scene in and of itself, but it probably slowed down the movie too much at this point because the movie's it's barreling towards a climax. Absolutely. So uh, so Austin and Vanessa are captured by Dr. Evil. They're put into uh, quasi-futuristic clothing. Yes. As you do, because if you're a bad guy and you capture the spy who's after you, you, you want to be a good host and give them a nice change of clothes. Yeah, you know, slip into something more comfortable. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, something the Bond movies uh, do all the time. And we, we find out that uh, Dr. Evil's plan is he's using this Vulcan drill 
to drill to the center of the earth and then he's going to use this nuclear weapon that he's stolen he's going to set it off there and that's going to cause every volcano on earth to erupt all at once solid plan and and because uh dr evil is a good bad guy uh, and a polite bad guy he explains the plan to austin of course and, what yeah and and so dr evil puts uh austin and vanessa into a chamber uh with a very slow moving death trap he's he's he wanted to have sharks with laser beams but apparently his henchmen weren't able to make that happen so uh so he has right. to make do with what he has yeah they had um they have mutated sea bass said yeah yeah and that's that is just as good as sharks with laser beams on their heads right um, and also in the scene I think also in the scene, um, Dr. Evil's son Scott was there, and he Scott yeah. was saying, "Well, I'll just take a gun and shoot him. Why are you doing all this? Just kill yeah, him." Yeah, yeah, and that, that's a very funny uh, runner throughout the movie. Um, but just to back up to the sharks uh, for a minute, apparently Mike Myers and Jay Roach they actually wanted sharks in the movie, but they, on their sixteen and a half million budget, they did not have the money for that, and. Uh, oh. They asked the 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 prop people. They're like, "Okay, well, what can we do?" And they were like, "We can make the water bubble a bit." So, <laughs> so that's that's why the 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 death trap is horribly downgraded. So, uh, gotcha. So sometimes, yeah. So sometimes it pays not to have the money to do everything you want. It's like, what can we do? We can turn yeah. this into a hot tub. And yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's all exactly. we can do. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so there, so there's a very funny scene between Dr. Evil and Scott Evil where Scott is just like, no, really, we could just kill him. Yeah. And then as Dr. Evil says, like, no, I'm just going to put them in here and close the doors, walk away and assume everything went to plan. What's the problem? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it gets to the point where Scott is just like, no, really, we can just kill him. We can just, and then Dr. Evil is just shushing him and just, shh. Uh, and that arose out of an improv between Mike Myers and uh, Seth Green. Uh, Jay Roach talks about this in the uh, Hollywood Reporter oral history. They they did that when they were shooting Seth Green's coverage. Uh, so it was Seth was the only one on camera, and then Mike Myers started doing the shush thing, and Jay Roach was like, "Oh." I now have to go back and shoot Mike's side of this again because this is so funny. I can't let this go. They'd already shot Mike Myers, and so they they lost half a day uh, on the on the movie. They they went schedule uh, on it, but it was so funny. He was like, "I have to include this." So so definitely worth it, considering how popular of an exchange that is. Yeah, I remember that being a huge scene. Like people were like loving that part. I did too. It was, it was pretty hilarious. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so Austin and Vanessa they they escape from the death trap, and then they're they're trying to get out of the the headquarters so that uh, they can go get back up. Um, right. Austin sends Vanessa to go get uh, like the British troops, uh, but before he lets Vanessa go, he's like, you know, wait a minute, Vanessa. If anything happens, I just want to let you know. If you want me to be a one woman man. I'm okay with that. I will be a one-woman man for you because uh, by this point, Austin is in love with Vanessa. Oh, 
No, it's touching, right? I'm in love with you. <laughs> da, 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 da. Um, so in the meantime, Dr. Evil's uh, evil plan is coming to fruition, and Dr. Evil is in a like a plastic transparent radiation suit that I swear to God looks exactly like a radiation suit that uh, Joseph Wiseman wears in the very first James Bond movie, Dr. No. Oh, I was thinking it looked but, like that suited from uh, 12 Monkeys a little bit. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, they're both see-through things. But no, that is definitely a, uh, a shout-out or a parody of Dr. No, because what was like cool and, and futuristic and cutting edge in 1962, it looked kind of goofy by 1997. So they're just having some fun with that. Okay. Yeah, and, right, and, and we have some nice physical humor where like Mike Myers finds he can't really sit down in, in the suit because it's just too <laughs> slick. He's sliding off his chair. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, it's pretty hilarious. So then, so then the two of them split up. Uh, Vanessa goes, gets the troops, and uh, Austin's trying to find Doctor Evil to stop his plan. And then he runs into the uh, the fembots who yeah. uh, seduce. You know, he comes to their uh, feminine robotic wilds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is how is our hero going to get out of this one? Well, well, well. Uh, he um, uses his mojo. Of course. He uses his mojo. He he short circuits them with his sexiness. Uh, so we we've got Austin dancing around to uh, the divinal song "I Touch Myself," um, and he he's he strips down to a Union Jack speedo. Yeah, and like uh, the the fembots can't help themselves, they start to short circuit and haywire, go haywire, and just start their heads explode because he's just yeah, too much man for for any robot. Much and and of course, uh, Vanessa is, passes by right as Austin is doing this, and Vanessa's changed into a, a striking leather jumpsuit, very very Emma Peel, very very Black Widow, even though Black Widow wasn't popularly known when this movie was made, but. Uh, but yeah, she's very much in the, the look of Emma Peel by this. And and she sees Austin and she's like, Austin, what are you doing? And we have Austin awkwardly explaining to Vanessa. And he's like, No, 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 this looks bad, but uh but no, it was it was a cross mojination. It was and uh but thankfully Vanessa believes Austin. Yes. So love springs eternal. Love springs eternal. And uh so, so they, you know, they and all the the troops with, you know, it, it ends like a, a James Bond movie. Everybody's raiding the bad guy's lair. There's machine gun fire going off, explosions, people flipping around and stuff. And yeah, and, action, uh, yeah. I think there's excitement, things blowing. <laughs> Adventure. Yes. Adventure. Uh, but yeah, as, I think as the drill is going into the core. I think Austin hits the red button just to stop it just in time. So he mm -hmm. the big button. Yeah. Yes, of course. The, the big red, hey, stop all this button. Uh, right. Apparently. Yes. <laughs> apparently that's just a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh so Austin is holding Dr. Evil at gunpoint and and uh we we kind of end Austin's arc about uh him, him fitting into the mod then modern world of 1997, where so Austin finally concludes that that 1997 is actually cooler than the 60s because we've got freedom and responsibility. It's a very groovy time. Yes, yes. So, 
And uh, oh. and then Dr. Evil responds with one of my favorite lines. There's nothing more pathetic than an aging hipster. <laughs> that's dude. That, that line was perfect. I, I, I mean, my God, that's, that's my credo. It's, it's a great line. It's a great delivery of the line. Um, and, uh, and there's, there's also another funny bit with, uh, with Scott evil where, uh, I, I think Dr. Evil talks about trying to kill Scott again. And then Scott just goes, no, dad, we just had a breakthrough in group. <laughs> and and <laughs> Dr. Evil goes, I had the group liquidated, you little shit. They were insolent. <laughs> Which that is was funny. such a wonderful supervillain line. Love it. Love it. It's good stuff. And yeah. uh, then I think at this point, number, number two comes in and then he kind of betrays Dr. Evil. Saying yeah. like, you know, I've had, I've had enough of you pushing me around, and mm -hmm. like, like so he tries to side with uh, Austin in order to like, you know, get Furchicon up and you know be bigger and better. But then Doctor Evil ends up throwing that number two down that fiery pit through the the trap door chair. Yep, yep, yep. And then he uh, makes his escape. Yeah, and uh, and so you know by this point the headquarters is is blowing up and. We see Austin and Vanessa, they escape uh, out into the Las Vegas data search. Uh, in this scene, I am almost certain, though, that that, uh, is, that scene of them escaping and getting into Austin's Shaguar was shot at uh, Vasquez Rocks, which is a real famous movie location. It's, it, you've seen it in lots of episodes of Star Trek. And it was even in the, uh, the recent Picard series. It's on uh, CBS All Access. Oh really? Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, that. And, and, and like it's used in in the second Bill and Ted movie, and very distinctive rock shape, just sort of this this diagonal rock jutting up into the sky, and it and it's apparently very close to uh, studios. It's like just outside in uh, Los Angeles, so it's a real easy location shoot. Oh wow, dude, you're full back. Always fun to see Vasquez rocks. Whenever I see it in a movie, I'm just like, hey, Vasquez rocks. Where Kurt's walking Yeah. It sounds like the name sounds the name of a guy named Vasquez is really awesome. Oh, Vasquez Rocks. I mean, they've they've played with uh with Ming T and uh what was the name of that other band? The uh the Meat Meat Helmets. Meat Helmets. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh dude, triple bill. They're they're gonna they're gonna bring back Lollapalooza and, and they're they're all gonna play together. <laughs> Vasquez Rocks. Yeah. All right, so yeah, so um, then, so uh, Doctor Evil makes his escape into his escape pod. He gets shoots himself back into outer space, and um, uh, Austin and Vanessa escape. The whole the plant blows up, and they end up saving the day. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, after that, we we cut to uh, three months later. Uh, we discover that Austin has married Vanessa. They're on their honeymoon. Austin has gotten his teeth fixed. He gets oh. He gets a little sparkly thing on his teeth because uh, uh, dentistry has made many advances in the 30 years since he was frozen. <laughs> um, uh, also, yeah, like Mike Myers is wearing these just hideous <laughs> fake teeth through the movie, but it's very, very funny where it's, and they, they explain earlier in the movie, uh, uh, Mrs. Kensington comes back and explains like, you know, in the sixties in Britain, you could be a sick simple and have horrible teeth. It, that's just how it was done. It was a simpler time. It was a simpler time, um, and uh, uh, so so Vanessa has been made a full agent because 
apparently she wasn't before for some reason. Yeah, yeah that's when she said, oh, yeah, you're a full agent now. It's like, wait, so she wasn't this whole time? She was just like, what was she doing before? Was, like, I think, like, somehow, like, the 60s came forward and just, like, the 60s sexism grafted onto Vanessa somehow. So she was, even though, like, Basil Exposition says, like, oh, she's one of our top agents, she's still somehow a junior agent. I don't know. But, uh, but anyway, she, she's a full agent now, so it's all good. And, and <laughs> Austin, Austin is being knighted by the queen, um, and everything's hunky-dory. And then we have a little last-minute thing Again, another Bond movie homage where one of the henchmen comes back unexpectedly to try and kill uh, Austin. Um, you see this at the end of From Russia with Love, uh, and you see it at the end of uh, Diamonds Are Forever, where where henchmen come back in both of those movies to try and kill Bond at the last minute. Yeah, yeah. So we have random cast coming back in the play. And random cast coming back, yeah. Yeah, and he throws uh, a shoe at Austin and hits him and, in the head. And Austin is able to thankfully defeat him with uh, the Swedish penis pump. The, no, that's tough to say. <laughs> Swedish penis pump. You can't say that too quickly. Swedish penis pump. Swedish penis pump. Hmm, okay. Swedish, yeah. Yeah. So so that's like that's like the Chekhov's gun of Austin Powers, really. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It comes back into play. So he's able to to pump him up and defeat him and uh, send him on his way. And, you know, this might be a decent uh, spot to note since Random Task just came back into the movie. Uh, here's a little interesting trivia that I found on uh, the IMDb trivia page for, for Austin Powers. It is uh, the fourth item down. I'm just going to read it verbatim. And, uh, uh, Darren, you have not heard this yet, so... Strapping. I have not, no, sir. Okay, so... All right, hit me. Joe Sohn, the actor who played Random Task, is serving a lifetime in prison for torture of a 19-year-old woman in 1990. He went uncaptured... Oh. He, he went uncaptured until 2008 when a DNA match linked him to the crime. According to the victim, she unknowingly had a copy of this movie in her home until her attacker's identity was revealed. In 2017, he was sentenced to an additional 27 years for murdering his cellmates. Oh. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> That's oh, no. horrifying. <laughs> holy, holy cow. I, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Oh, um, so, uh, yeah, random task in real life. Uh, he's got some shit going on. Wow, so there's he's he's a murderer. He's, and he's in, uh, oh, yeah. wow. He is a torturer and a murderer, but uh, thankfully he is behind bars now. So uh, if they ever end up making a fourth Austin Powers movie, I don't think we are going to see random task make a return. <laughs> I don't think his agent is, uh, yeah, I think his agent's kind of like, oh, yeah, no, he's uh, unavailable. He is unavailable. He's, uh, no, this is not playing hardball. Uh, we, we're not looking for more money. He cannot make those dates. So, uh, yeah, so I read that this morning, and I was like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's, like, that's, that's horrific. That's something else, right? That, that, that's something else, yeah. 
So, so, uh, but but that's a movie. And the, during the closing credits, we've got uh, we've got Austin as a fashion photographer. He's, he's having a session with Vanessa and Elizabeth Hurley, kind of going back to her her supermodel roots. Uh, mm-hmm. And we we've got a song by Ming T, uh, BBC, which is it's a rockin' tune, man. It's an original mo- uh, song to this movie, but really fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a I mean it's a cute little fun little you know rocking little movie this thing yeah yeah and uh yeah fun stuff i i want to i i really enjoyed going back to to revisit this movie it's it's a lot of fun it's it's pretty much just as funny as i remember it's uh i mean certain bits of it got kind of old because austin powers became one of those characters that everybody and his brother would imitate or dress up for as halloween yeah like i remember i mean from what i remember yeah it was one of those things where it was like this movie was kind of for comedy nerds, like you know, dorky yeah. people like us. But then, like somehow, it became like especially in the sequels, like Austin Powers, a uh, uh, two is Five Shag Me, and yeah. Old Member. It became more and more mainstream, and more and more yeah. like you know, just you know, Wall Street bros would say, "Yeah, baby, oh, psychedelic." Like it, it, beca- it got it to was, the point where it's kind of like, obnoxious. Yeah, it was the bore out of its day. Yeah, so yeah. You know, yeah, like Borat, yeah, like Borat and Anchorman is one of those things where people just quote it so much to the point where it becomes annoying and kind of hack. Yeah, it got a little driven into the ground, but you know, we shouldn't necessarily blame the movie for that. I mean, it's just because the movie was it did its job really well. It's a really funny movie, so right. lots of less funny people latched onto it and were like, "Hey, if right. I," you know, we we talked about this last week, but it's like, "Hey, if." If I say this line exactly the same way, only worse, I'll be just as funny. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, all all I know. need to, to do is repeat this, and I'm as funny as that person who created this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like uh, like Ricky Gervais's character in the in the office. Oh yeah, yeah, baby. Yeah, yeah, baby, yeah. So but uh but uh, a fun movie. I enjoyed it. It's like we said. It's on Netflix. It's it's a fun one to to go back and and revisit. Right. You can watch all three of them. They're all on Netflix. Uh, Gold Member and Spy Shag Me. Check them yeah, out. I I wouldn't mind uh, watching the other movies as well. I think I'm gonna space them out a little bit though, because I don't want, I don't I think watching three Austin Powers movies in quick succession uh, would seem a a little much. Yeah, you can you can go a little loco with a little yeah. too much sex. Little Doctor Evil goes a long way. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to OD on the Austin Powers, but uh, yeah, I'd I'd love to uh, to circle back around and and do these movies, uh, uh, do the do the sequels sometime. I would be down for that. Yeah, yeah. See you, see you at the next pandemic. Yes, exactly. <laughs> at the next pandemic. Um, so uh, let's see. Do we do we have anything else? Do we have any other cool trivia about this movie? Um, no, not that I. That one with random task. I mean, holy hell! That That's the topper, right? That 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 was a piece of resistance. I can't even. I mean, we can't yeah, even. we can't really top that one. So uh, so to review, random task murderer John Mulaney not in the movie, um, and, and that is all you need to know. I'm looking at that picture of a. That looks a lot like John Mulaney. Like, right? It's, uh, yeah, John Mulaney, time traveler. You heard it here first. I guess so. Or maybe maybe he's a vampire. Maybe he's ageless. 
Uh, you know, yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's certainly possible. It's certainly possible. He, he could but, be uh, the un he could be the undead. Have we taken that into consideration? I mean, it, uh, John Mulaney's got something going on. Maybe he's an undead time traveler. We haven't figured it out. <laughs> We're going to do further research in this area and keep an eye out for John Mulaney looking people in the other movies we watch on this podcast. Mulaney watch. Mulaney watch. Uh, but, uh, so what's uh, do, do we have any uh, cool Twitter uh, questions from the, from the, uh, the Twitter followers? Uh, Ruby the Rue had something about Daniel Craig. Oh, okay. Well, let's let's hear this. Yeah. Uh, so Ruby the Rue, friend of the podcast, has uh, mm -hmm. pulled something from the Wikipedia page that will be interesting to discuss. <clears throat> and I read Daniel Craig, who has portrayed James Bond on screen since two thousand six credited Austin Powers franchise with the relatively serious tone of the later Bond films. We had to destroy the myth because Mike Myers fucked us, Craig said in a 2014 Yeah, he shagged him rotten! Now, this is my first time seeing this, that's why I'm laughing. Uh, Craig said in a 2014 interview, making it impossible to do the gags of earlier Bond films, which Austin Powers satirized. Huh. <laughs> I, mean, I did not know I that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at the modern day Bond movies, and and Daniel Craig's been playing Bond since uh, since two thousand six. Uh, and yeah, they they don't get as tongue in cheek or as as goofy as the uh, the early Sean Connery ones did. They're not. Yeah, they're not I mean, I, well, no, I mean, I kind of thought that was mainly because of. Uh, I mean, this might be weird. Thing, but like I, I kind of thought it was because of like the Dark Knight or anything. Because like at, once the Dark Knight came out and Batman Begins, like you'd notice a lot of movies take more of a darker, serious, gritty tone to them. So I, mean, I thought maybe it was because of that. But it looks like maybe I, it was like because of Austin Powers. I think, I think it was maybe there was a bit of that in there. I think it was it was like probably like Austin Powers and the Bourne Identity movies doing really well. That mm. they just knew if they did like a more goofy or or slightly camp james bond it just wouldn't be accepted the way it was in in like the roger moore days so so they kind of had to go more serious with it but uh yeah. but they're getting back to that you know we 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 had blowfeld in the last one uh spoiler alert for uh specter but you know Whoa. it's been a few years so okay. everybody knows it's Blow, blowfeld it was it was christopher waltz in a neighbor jacket how could it not be blowfeld people uh, very true. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I so I think the Bond movies had to kind of stir away from that, so they they didn't come off as unintentionally funny, and and yeah, so they they have gotten more serious since the Austin Powers movies. Yeah, I think so, Pierce Brosnan even even said something to that effect once. Really? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, folks, you have. Mike Myers, thank for all these great new James Bond movies that's come out since. That's right. That's right. In in a weird sort of way, Daniel Craig owes his career as James Bond to Austin Powers. So, and you know, I hope I hope at some point we get back to a James Bond movie actually being released because the the last one, uh, No Time to Die, it's been delayed a few times. It's been delayed because they changed directors and then and they, like I think Daniel Craig injured himself at one point and. And now it's been delayed because of the coronavirus. So, yeah, I, I no time to release. 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> no really? time to release this movie. Yeah. I'm, I'm not right. Yeah, baby. Yeah, you showed them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good heavens. But uh, so I, I think that is the podcast for this week. Um, we, we haven't. Uh, oh, oh, no, wait. We do know what we're going to do next week. Darren, why don't you tell the people, the fine people, what we're going to do next week while we're uh, still in lockdown? Uh, yeah, while well, we're still on like, I mean, we're assuming it's going to be like this for quite some time. So we got a suggestion from our good friend, Ruby the Rube, to do uh, this movie that neither one of us has seen. It's uh, called Saturday Night, 2010 film uh, directed by James Franco. So it's a documentary, actually, about how Saturday Night Live is made. And it's James Franco shot, um, you know, all the behind the scenes stuff over a six day period from December 1st to December 6th of 2008. Oh. And, and uh, yeah, the film was during a week that uh, John Malkovich was hosting, right? Yes, Malkovich, Malkovich. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I mean, the film was originally a school assignment for Franco while he was going to NYU. And right. um, yeah, it was put out. So we're, we're going to talk all about this film. Neither one of us has seen it. I'm really excited to see this. I'm looking forward to seeing this because I've I've seen some other behind the scenes things on SNL, of course, but we've never done a documentary actually covering the show. So this is going to be interesting. This is also relatively recent. Um, but okay, James Franco did this for his film class. How much do you think his classmates hated him? Oh, ton. What are you Tons doing for your film project? Oh, I shot this. What did you do for your film project, James Franco? Oh, I followed Saturday Night Live. I hate you, James Franco. I hate you so much. I wonder what grade he got. <laughs> <laughs> if he got like a C or something, that'd be a little bit of a. <laughs> that would be hilarious. And like some, some like, oh, you know, Chester, who shot a thing in the park, he gets an A. <laughs> <laughs> that would be hilarious. Chester? I'm looking at the Wikipedia entry for this movie now. Apparently, it was shelled for several years due to legal matters regarding the distributor and NBC. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. Wow. So, so yeah, this is a little on the obscure side. Very much so. Like, I, I kind of remember hearing something about this, but, like, I, I've never seen it. Be very interesting. And because uh, this was done in 2008, uh, so uh, also appearing in the movie are Bill Hader, Fred Armisen, Will Forte, Seth Meyers, Lauren Michaels, of course, and Bobby Moynihan. Yeah. So this is, I'm really, I'm really stoked to see this. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe super... even some female cast members as well. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Ooh, but they're, it's but they're a lady. on the Wikipedia page. So who knows? Yeah. Ooh, it's a lady. <laughs> So, so yeah, we're both going to be coming to this fresh. I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be very exciting. Yeah, I'm super crazy pumped. Yeah, yeah. So uh, tune in uh, next Monday as we watch Saturday Night Live, or Saturday Night, the, the documentary by James Franco. Right. And, uh, yeah, if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at Darren Credible, D-A-R-I-N Credible. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Trumbull Comic, T-R-U-M-B-U-L-L, -L, and the word comic. And you can follow the show's uh, Twitter page at SNL Nerds Show. Please uh, tweet us suggestions for future shows, comments about uh, the movie, or questions about the movie we're about to do. And uh, 
Also, please, if you want to uh, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, we really appreciate that, too, because that helps us uh, get the word out uh, about the podcast. Oh, and we should give a little shout-out to our buddy, uh, one of our previous guests from the SNL Nerds. Uh, He went viral this week. Oh, yeah. Hey-o. Our friend, uh, J.L. Colvin. Who does who guest starred on our episode about uh, Eddie Murphy and Lizzo uh, back in December? Uh, he went viral his with his Donald Trump impression. Yeah, I know. Like he's he's had the best uh, Donald Trump impression for for a while now. It's it's really spot on. So the fact that people are starting to catch on to it and be like, oh wow, this is really good and it's pretty dope. I saw that like um, he got tweets from people like uh, like Ike Barinholtz liked it. Uh, Eric uh-huh. Bogosian, of all yeah. people, retweeted it. Uh, um, Ken uh, Olin, who I believe is a producer on This Is Us. Yeah, yeah, and also an actor from Thirty uh, Something. I'm just looking oh, at yeah. it now. It has uh, 82.7 thousand likes and 27.1 retweets on Twitter. That is that is amazing. And his his uh, album uh, where he he. Did Donald Trump? I think that shot up back to uh, number four on the iTunes album charts. So, yeah, JL is having a really amazing week, and it's really great yeah. to see. Yeah, so check out his album. Uh, I believe it's called Fireside Craps. Yeah, yeah. And if you want to check out uh, the Eddie Murphy Lizzo episode, uh, JL guest stars on that, and he talks about the uh, how he does such a great Donald Trump impression. So, if you're interested in that. Please check that out. Yeah, and follow him on Twitter, JL Calvin, J L C A U V I N. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's getting a lot of love this week, but he could he could always use a little more. So absolutely. Yeah, SNL nerds bump, baby. Come come on this show if you want to be a star, people. Yep, 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 yep. We've got like five hundred uh, Twitter followers. He has uh, over sixty thousand now. So, so. You're welcome. Welcome, JL. You're welcome. We can make you. And, and he also has a podcast where he plays uh, Donald Trump, uh, making podcasts great again. So check that out as well. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, so, but I think that is it uh, for this week. We will be back uh, next week with that Saturday night documentary. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. How, how do I guess that's it. I guess that's it. So uh, I guess we will just say, until then. Oh, behave. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, baby. (laughs) This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablaoui. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.